welcome to Catalyze Coherence. This is Matthew Perkowski. Uh, we're here with Brian Hofstein. Hey, hey. And Melissa Lasky. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Melissa is a writer, a storyteller, and a content strategist. She's here to help put on a storytelling, a crypto storytelling workshop uh, this evening. Melissa, uh, Melissa, tell us, tell us more about what brings you here to this workshop and what, what storytelling means to you and why it's important to this space of, uh, of the, the crypto revolution, so to speak. Well, the workshop came about because, uh, you know, we had had a lot of really interesting conversations about how crypto is not doing the best job of telling its own story um, to, to, the, to other people in the crypto space, but also to the world at large, to, to the general public that isn't necessarily sold on the value of cryptocurrency or even the need for cryptocurrency. Um, and doesn't quite understand uh, why a blockchain could be useful on a societal level, on a global level. Um, so there's a pretty big knowledge gap. And one of the biggest rules of storytelling is that if you don't tell your own story, someone else is going to tell it for you. Mm. So the media, I mean, crypto is a huge story internationally, you know, up to a trillion dollars of, of wealth will be created very shortly out of uh, out of seemingly nothing, out of seemingly air. So this is obviously something that the media is covering at length. Um, but what they're saying is not necessarily in line with a narrative that puts crypto in the best light or puts blockchain in the best light. So my view on storytelling and why it's so important is there's... Um, there's a lot of different services that telling a story can serve. It can educate. One of the best ways to teach some, somebody something new is to tell them a story about it. And it takes them on this emotional journey. And if it's a good story, it's got a clear beginning, middle, and end. And um, it allows someone to put themselves in the position of, of a character or someone else and, and to really um, see new things and, and learn something new. There's also the sort of bridge building around telling stories because it can create empathy. So if you are, live in one region and your enemy lives in another region, uh, hearing a story about your enemy that you can relate to is going to do a lot in terms of building bridges uh, with that person because it creates empathy. And then the third is actually paving the road for the future that you want. I mean, one of the funny things, I've lived now in San Francisco and in Silicon Valley, and I was a former journalist back in New York. And in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of sort of nuts and bolts of futurism. Like, okay, here's the actual blueprint for how we are going to build flying cars. In LA, there's a lot of storytelling around futurism, but it tends to swing very dystopian. Um, when people reference, certainly on the West Coast and worldwide, I've found when people reference technology and the future, uh, the two references they tend to go to are Skynet, the evil corporation from Terminator, and Minority Report, both of which pretty dystopian, <laughs> like not Not ideal features. <laughs> not ideal. Yeah. So if you're going to tell a story about something that could happen in the future, you have a pretty big responsibility to paint the picture mm. of what the future is that you want and how this technology is going to get us there. So I believe in crypto. Obviously, it's not, it's not a panacea. It's not like crypto is here to suddenly take all of the problems of money and humanity and solve them all. But it could be a tool that uh, really takes us to a new place. Yeah. So if we're going to get there, we've got to start telling a story about it that shows the possibility of mm. that future and helps people see for themselves because humans can't create something they don't know about. Like if you don't know something exists, you don't know to even reach for it. Um, uh, you know, we see this in culture all of the time. It's why Black Panther was such a massive cultural moment because for the first time, African-American kids can go to the movie theater and see an African-American superhero. Mm -hmm. And before that hadn't necessarily uh, existed. Like who even, you know, if you were a child, did you even know that that was something that you could potentially be or aspire to? Obviously, it's superheroes. Yeah, okay, not necessarily real, but still, um, if we want to be it, we have to know it exists. So mm -hmm. storytelling can accomplish that. And mm -hmm. so that's why I think it's important to bring into the crypto space. Also, because if you don't have a North Star, 
if you don't have like a, a, a really positive place that you're going to get to, we as humans tend to kind of default into, well, okay, I'll just make the most money. Like I'm in it for me and I'm just going to like make my money and buy my Lambo, which I had never even heard that phrase before, but I heard of like buy my Lambo is something that gets thrown around a lot in the crypto mm -hmm. community. And honestly, I wouldn't say it's the best branding for the crypto community. Yeah. But um, if you're not really living inside of a story that you believe in, mm -hmm. it's easy to veer off. It's easy to just start to make choices that don't align with uh, reaching the end of, reaching the North Star, reaching that goal. So that's that's essentially why I um, took my kind of very eclectic skill set and started working with crypto companies. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good summary of, of huh. A large amount of this space and like kind of what this space needs in terms of its its nascent inability to craft its own story and also it's a decentralized space inherently so it's kind of hard to to understand you know many times in the past stories have been told by somebody who's been you know at the helm of some organization or some movement and that's effectively like a center point and so the story kind of comes from the center point but there's this interesting question of what it means to try to wrap a narrative around a decentralized movement or or where the story comes from, or how do you, you know, with respect to our namesake of this podcast, how might a coherent story emerge in a decentralized space? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, Matthew, you and I have talked to, <laughs> talked at length about this, but in my belief system, and I have plenty of data to back this up, the two biggest issues, the two biggest sources of, of angst and pain and suffering in a human life are love and money. And not everybody has, you know, the same level of angst about both, but every human being goes through life having some suffering about, about each one of those topics. And if you look at it from the standpoint of, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Maybe we don't have to create a society where money is such a cause of suffering for so many people. People who have money suffer over money. People who don't have money suffer over money. Um, Maybe it doesn't have to be this way. And I think you and I have sat around <laughs> kind of pontificating and over drinks talking about like, yeah, and shouldn't crypto really step in and say, hey, look, let's let's see if we can change that. Maybe we succeed. Maybe we don't. But let's try. And if you I always come at it from the humanist perspective. I do not code. I am not an engineer. I'm here in Silicon Valley, uh, kind of like the Lorax, I speak for the humans and everything has a humanism element to me. And I'm like, what good is crypto going to be if it doesn't solve some of these deep human issues around money and value and worth, personal worth, you know, individual worth, community worth, power as a community to live in a way where you are able to have to aspire to what you aspire to and reach your goals and put forth the things that you believe in and value and, and have the means to do that. Um, that's what certainly what American individualism is all about. So if money is going to be the thing that keeps millions and if not billions of people from actually realizing that, well, maybe let's see if we can think of another way. And crypto has certainly shown a willingness to be that force that comes in and really upends money. So maybe let's see if we can sort of steer it in that direction. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the interesting question is, uh, in my mind still, to some extent, who's doing the steering, right? <laughs> oh, great question. And uh, I think that that really relates to this notion of, of centralization versus decentralization. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, you're, you're talking about the humanist perspective. And I may generally come at things slightly more from like the existentialist perspective. Yeah, yeah you it's do. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've noticed um, where it's good. It's where, good there, where there's some element of of this kind of innate difficulty or innate suffering, perhaps. And money was this tool that we um, we kind of slowly evolved as a species to help us figure out how to coordinate our actions and our values. And you know, perhaps it actually at one point in history allowed for the alleviation of a lot of suffering, mm -hmm. a lot of that suffering, a lot of those things that we were having trouble coordinating as 
pre-civilizational um, primates, right? Trying to coordinate, trying to figure out, you know, who's going to do which labor, who's going to take care of, of the community, who's going to go do the farming, who's going to do the hunting. Like, how do we represent value in a community? What behaviors are valuable? What do we value as an individual versus as a community? And um, and so we kind of created these weird tokens, and I think that created a lot of good. But in a way, I think what we've talked about in the past is that the pre or like the previous needs. Uh, that gave rise to the creation of money, gave rise to this tool, but that tool is no longer sufficient for our, our modern world, perhaps. Like, perhaps there's a lot of elements of value in our modern world that we feel as valuable, but aren't well represented by our current money. Totally. I I, I am on board with your existentialist theory. <laughs> and I mean, you know, we talked about this yesterday. A dollar now is detached from a value. A dollar can be used to buy crack cocaine or it can be used to buy immunizations for children who are exposed to malaria. Those are two very different value systems, but the dollar has no differentiation. It mm. is equally valuable for both. And so money as a representation of value we're just handing it to people and saying like, well, go figure out your values without really offering any kind of framework around what are your values? Um, and, and look, there's a lot of ways that we could teach people to really focus more on personal values. Um, the education system could be one, but why not have a value system in our currency where it's like, look, I, very much value, um, you know, uh, like humane treatment of animals um, who are being raised for slaughter. Um, I want to put my money towards farms that are, you know, using humane practices, towards yeah. restaurants that are buying from those farms. Um, I, so I can go be a responsible consumer and go use my money for that. Or we could have a cryptocurrency that inherently supports that or with a community behind it. Mm -hmm. So it's a value and you get to say, oh, this is something I value. Um, and I want to go be part of this currency mm -hmm. that, that also values that that's aligned with my values. And that's not to say that this entirely eliminates fiat currency, you because know? <laughs> we talked about, look, human, human society has become large and complex, and there are many, many different values, and we are not here to judge this value is right and that value is wrong. That's just, I mean, that's a huge part of, in my mind, the problem that American society has gotten into where everybody's just standing in judgment of everyone else. like. Oh, you believe in this political, you, you voted this way? Well, I stand in judgment of you. Oh, you don't believe in this particular policy? You are wrong. I stand in judgment of you. And it's like, well, who are you to judge? Uh, and I think the same goes with values. Um, I think we can all agree, you know, let's not be moral relativists. Like certain things have to be wrong in, in our society and we shouldn't have like I know there's uh, there's like hate-based cryptocurrencies mm -hmm. and there's drug cartel-based cryptocurrency. You know, I, I think we all have to draw the moral line somewhere and say like, yeah, okay, we are not going to hold that up as a as a valid value or as a value that that we uh, stand behind as a society. Um, but things like gun ownership. Look, I have my own political ideas about guns. I have very strong personal ideas about guns. Um, but am I in a position to say, like, if you value gun ownership, you are a bad person and we should not give you the opportunity to be part of a community uh, that also values that? No. So I, I do think we need to take into account, uh, you know, a lot of people in Silicon Valley, a lot of people on the, the coasts, we tend to align with some similar values. But there are other value systems that we can also that have room in cryptocurrency and that have room um, in this space. And uh, I think speaking to values as a concept that is a bit more holistic and more inclusive and less judgmental, like there's good values and bad values, um, might, might help us.
Yeah, I mean, I think um, value space, as you're pointing to, is something that is very dependent on people's paths through the world. Absolutely. Right? It's, it's, it's as much of a reflection of what your path has been through the world as it is about any objective state of reality. And, Absolutely. And that's kind of why we have dialogue. That's why we have words and language to kind of figure out, you know, okay, we're both sitting here. We think we're looking at the same thing, but are we really looking at the same thing? Like, is the, is the cup on the table the same cup that I'm seeing? Like, okay, so how would, we, how would we figure that out? Well, we have these words. And in the same way that we have words to actually negotiate the shared space of our reality um, in the greater marketplace, like in these more complex systems, we have, instead of words, we have currencies, right? And, and not just currency in terms of fiat currency, but also we have things like social currency, right? Um, and, and these types of currencies are, are ways of collectively negotiating our reality and value space, right? And yes. so, and, and therefore in the same way, I mean, I kind of often look at it in, in the way where it's like, the same way you don't necessarily want to be stifling people's ability to, to speak because people need to speak to figure out what the heck is going on around them, um, to figure out what's actually even in their heads, really. Um, we need to be able to have people encode their values in these types of tokens, right? They need to be able to, like, if we can tokenize values, then you can actually see this very rich and robust tapestry of, of values in the world. And you can see that a person is not just one political statement. They're this rich set of values, some of which align with yours and some of which don't, which is like the exact opposite of, for example, like treating someone like a horrible person because you've seen one tweet Right. Absolutely. Which is like the exact opposite, which is like you only see one little facet of their entire being. Absolutely. And you jump to conclusion about the whole inner entity of that person or their whole previous path to that point, which seems um, not only psychologically destructive, but potentially destructive of this whole democratic experiment. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, so the social media ex sort of experiment has has been pretty fascinating. I got into journalism right at kind of the dawn of, of digital media. It was when personal blogs were still this very sort of titillating, cool thing. It was pre-YouTube, pre-Twitter. Um, Facebook was still just for college students. The Huffington Post had just gotten big and sort of emerged as the alternative, or, uh, you know, uh, to Drudge Report. And the space immediately started polarizing, like, well, there, there's these people and those people, and which one are you, are you part of? And, and I think we can all agree that that's pretty destructive. People are complex. We are all multifaceted beings and we deserve more, more credit than that. And I've seen some lives destroyed from one tweet that, you know, someone just threw out as she was getting on a plane to go on vacation or, um, you know, I've had my own share of writing something on the internet that uh, was taken the wrong way and uh, getting attacked by right-wing pundits. So. It's it's not exactly a representation of who people are, but I do want to go back sort of to bring it back to crypto. We also kind of point to social media. Uh, social media shows us what's popular. It shows us, in a sense, what people value on a very popular level. Because when you look at Instagram, when you look at, I mean, just taking into account a recent example, um, Kylie Jenner is on the cover of Forbes and the Women's Billionaire list. And there are plenty of people who would point to that as like sign of the apocalypse. But I actually think it's pretty fantastic. There's a woman who's barely 21. Kylie's killing it. Yeah, barely 21-year-old woman, uh, self-made billionaire. I say props to that. Yeah, for sure. But uh, talking about currency, that is an exact, a direct example where social currency led to the creation of a billion-dollar fortune. Mm -hmm. This woman built up uh, over... 100 million, million followers on on Instagram. I don't know how many she has on Twitter, but I'm sure it's a lot. Um, and then from Instagram, from her popularity, launched a makeup line that is now worth almost a billion dollars. So that's a representation. You know, am I saying the Kardashians should have their own cryptocurrency? Yeah, why not? Like, well, um, I think this is actually this is perhaps a rich vein uh, to explore and. Maybe uh, I'll put on my devil's advocate hat in, in the form in question form. Feel free, <laughs> fight me on the Kardashians. <laughs> it's not a fight. I'm just it, it's interesting space, right? Because I think we one thing that we pointed to earlier is this notion of um, money being this very abstract representation of value that mm -hmm. doesn't specifically break down 
the actual specific behaviors or the specific values that the accumulation of the money represents. So I would be interested to hear your take on, uh, in theory, what, you know, if you were to break down the value space of the money that Kylie Jenner has accumulated, mm. what do you think that value space looks like in society? Well, look, I'm not here to make huge sweeping statements about the values of everybody who follows a, a Kardashian or follows Kylie Jenner on Instagram sure. or has bought a product from Kylie Jenner. I'm I just curious think, what you think the values might be that well, she espouses. Look, she espouses, uh, first of all, she puts a very high premium on personal beauty. Mm -hmm. And uh, women, men, people in this country, we put a value on that. Making yourself into the highest version of yourself, whether that be physically, emotionally. I mean, yes, she did so through some external health, plastic surgery. Again, who are we to judge? Um, I'm not making judgments. I'm just curious. Oh, I'm not like, suggesting in, in, term, in terms judgments. of like, it's interesting to me from the perspective of like, if there were many different types of money that represented different values, like maybe there would be something like an aesthetic coin where people were like, maybe so. Like beauty coin. I example, think a beauty right? coin yeah. is and, a really good idea. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that is like, what you'd see is different conversion rates, right? So beauty coin probably wouldn't get a very good conversion rate with, I don't know, for example, uh, uh Grit coin or something yeah. like that. I, I don't know, right? Or <laughs> yeah, like, probably or like, not so much. Or like beard coin. I mean, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, probably right? not so Ma much. Maybe yeah. it would for male male beauty. Or I don't know. I'm not really sure. But like, I'm just giving examples on the fly here. But that's the only perspective I'm trying to ask this from, which is like, it's interesting to think about this perspective of looking at these different values as this emergent marketplace of you know different values interacting with each other and actually being able to perhaps track that for the first time in human history. Absolutely. I think cool. that would be fascinating. And doing so without judgment, I think, is so important. Um, again, there's a lot of, you know, uh, from <laughs> certainly among like New York media, but uh, there's a lot of sort of camps that would look at the popularity of the Kardashians or, or their fortunes and, and poo-poo it and uh, put it down. But I come at it from the standpoint of these are women who are working very hard within a society that is not necessarily set up for women to become self-made billionaires uh, and having enormous success by giving people what they want and by touching upon something that is really important to an enormous number of people. And I think that's a that's an example where social currency has shown, has, has sort of revealed a value that our society holds. So why shouldn't crypto then say, oh, okay, well, there's there's a value. Like, let's see if there's a way, like you said, a beauty coin, if there's a way to support that value. And also maybe give that value a North Star so yeah, that yeah. people aren't necessarily chasing physical beauty at the expense of their bodies. Like there's a lot of, you know, people who, who will do things to their bodies that yeah. become harmful. And also Whereas you could see a synergy between beauty coin and health coin. Exactly. <laughs> um, mental health coin, too. You know, the sense mm -hmm. that, yeah, OK, you can go have plastic surgery or use all the beauty products in the mm -hmm. world. But obviously, your own sense of self-worth, your own sense of inner beauty and, and personal value are going to be so much bigger for your external beauty and your own happiness than having the latest makeup or having breast augmentation or any of the rest of it. Um, so guiding people in a healthy direction around beauty, not saying like, oh, it's a bad thing. But yeah, having that North Star, having a community around it, having a coin, um, I see all of this as potential positives. Is the mainstream cult culture too toxic to try to undertake such new forms of self-governance? Because that is interesting to think about this very vain aspect of beauty where there is like spiritual beauty, there is natural beauty that doesn't require makeup or other things. Um, I just, as we start to think about new forms of coming together to be a collective body, it's interesting to just try to weave through the dynamics that are already in existence and the ways in which they're not propagating the values that are actually, we know to be true and right and good. And again, 
who's to say what is the ultimate truth but right. but like <laughs> I mean, certainly but certainly God. there are aspects of our society right now that are just toxic yes there's uh, true and right and good are dangerous words because we talked about like the Rashomon effect. Well, Everyone's said they're, also, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're also necessary words if we're creating North Stars. Like, if we're right, creating North like, Stars. And I think you touched upon a great, uh, a great point, which is like, yeah, decentralization can solve the problem of uh, one ring to rule, to rule them all, like Facebook owning everyone's data and Uber owning everyone's data. Like there's no centralized body, but there's still someone somewhere that is yeah. setting that North Star and putting it into code or putting it into the governance system. Now, I do, I think that we should talk about governance because I think that's a really yeah. interesting aspect of that cryptocurrencies are starting to adopt. Um, the idea of governance being, well, you know, a democracy, particularly the U.S. democracy, is based on a system of checks and balances. And the community over time yeah. is going to evolve. The needs of the community are going to evolve. We learn and we grow as human beings. We learn and we grow as communities. So uh, a, a cryptocurrency or some, you know, um, a community around um, a particular value is going to have changing needs as well. And so can you put a governance system in, in place that kind of gives power back to the people and allows them to the North Star might move, yeah. you know, the North Star might shift. So, yeah, there's I think there's still going to be someone setting the North Star today, but building in structures that allow it to move. Um, I still believe in, a, you know, the power of the commons rather than the tra just the tragedy of the commons. Mm -hmm. I think that that could really work. Um, I, certainly our consciousness has raised enormously i mean just going back to the beauty example i remember in the 80s what my mother used to do to be beautiful my mm -hmm. mother was a single mom and she had two small kids and she was dating and it was terrifying like all of the horrible things that women in the 80s jane fonda workouts. were just oh the jane fonda thing was fine like <laughs> i would do the jane fonda works at workouts with her but i mean like <laughs> the like very barbaric things i won't go into uh, that women used to do for beauty, that a lot of which have now been proven to be very unhealthy mm. and certainly weren't necessarily good for these women's souls or self-esteem or, right. or any of it. And I think we've moved away from that a lot. You know, the beauty industry is moving much more towards natural and organic ingredients and, yeah, natural beauty and wellness. And mm -hmm. those are concepts that really didn't exist 10, 15 years ago in the, in the mass sort of consciousness. But now they're really being... Um, being embedded, like beauty is not just a matter of getting plastic surgery and putting on a lot of makeup. It's it's really sort of this mm -hmm. this uh, cultivation of the self and the best self. Mm -hmm. um, so the North Star has moved there. Yeah. And so we would want the community to be able to move with it. Yeah. Going back to Kylie real quick. <laughs> one of yes. The, one of the things that's really cool about her is that she's a self-empowered entrepreneur. I mean, she's certainly had some help. In yeah, sure. She, but, we're but not like, saying she started from nothing. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Like, but like um, in terms of like hashtag the future is female and, and thinking about new values in the culture and, and definitely – uh, it's in that direction of like, yeah, women can rock it too. Yeah, um, hell yeah. And it's sort of the crypto space, in terms of trying to craft a story, it's it's a story that is open to crafting, yes. that women could take on crypto and be like, this is our currency. If you want to yeah. interact with women, you have to use our currency. Yes. You know, anyone is in a position in which they can view this tool as a tool that they themselves can be using. Um, so I wonder like, as we, you know, we're doing this workshop tonight, we're trying to figure out ways in which we can tell a new story that empowers people. Um, where, how, did, how does that happen? How, do, how does this emerge from our current position? Because, you know, we're in this co-working space. There's companies here that are working on these types of problems. Um, but how do we catalyze this coherence in a global way in a national way like do you see where in your work where do you see how do you see that unfolding well i think it's time for the crypto community to build a little more bridges with like the pop culture community the entertainment community with, with other uh storytellers and leaders and entrepreneurs who aren't necessarily deeply embedded in crypto because it's not we can talk about these big global problems, but if it's just us talking, you know, in a in a very small sort of Silicon Valley, San Francisco based community, 
it runs into the same problem of, oh, hey, let's build a global social network. But hey, we're all going to be here in our little mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, compound in Menlo Park and never actually go to the places that are using our social network and and see the ramifications of, of what that social network is creating. Mm -hmm. um, there need to be some built bridges built. And I think the conversation needs to be opened up and more collaboration needs to happen. Um, obviously, it's still very early days. I mean, crypto is in its very early um, stages still. Maybe we're not there yet. But again, I'm a believer in let's start the conversation now. Let's mm -hmm. let's start thinking bigger about like if, if crypto really does want to come in and, and be a disruptor um, beyond the kind of libertarian ideas of like, we want no government, which I, again, I'm not here to judge that viewpoint. It's not a viewpoint that I personally uh, believe is going to work for the majority of, of people who live in governments, who live in, demo in democratic societies, who live in countries that have ruling governments. Uh, I, I don't think just make the world libertarian through crypto is is going to work. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think opening up the conversation is important. Do I have the map that's like, well, first we go here and then we go there and then, oh, look, North Star, yeah. the world is all more yeah. utopian and nobody yeah. goes hungry and then there's no welfare, we have no welfare state and everyone can sell their own data and, and yay, utopia. I don't have it yet, but I believe in the energetic principle that you don't always have to know every step. You just have to kind of take the next step. And mm, once you're yeah, there, like things kind of become clearer yeah, and yeah. you see the next step beyond that. Mm -hmm. So speaking of, you know, I, we've kind of touched on a few things that are interesting to perhaps bring together. And, you know, you just mentioned this idea of not having the map. Um, we've also been talking with respect to metaphors that have a lot to do with traveling. For example, North Stars are used for navigation, especially on journeys, right? They've been used for seafaring. They've been used traveling over land everywhere, basically. We have these stars we can follow because there are these fixed points of value. And then before that, we were talking about this idea of communities knowing what their North Star is and then like where their, like what their reality is relative to their, to their ideal or to their goal. And I think it's, you know, the picture that I'm kind of seeing emerge is this picture in which this whole ecology of different types of value systems are finally able to perhaps start self-navigating and also subscribe to their own ideals and not only subscribe to them, but also perhaps see them actually visualized for the first time, right? We can create technologies that are like maps, like value maps. And you can see these interactions of these different value sets, these different communities, and perhaps how they how they help each other, and also how they might hinder one another or how they might conflict, which I think is quite important when we're talking about these other um, ideas of, for example, empowerment in particular spaces where we obviously want to empower as many people as possible without triggering the deep human psychology of, of like tribal competition, right? Or like tribal mm -hmm. um, destruction mm -hmm. or like um, pathological rivalrous behavior, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, I want to be empowered and I'm going to do so by disempowering you mm -hmm. as opposed to the positive some variant of that, which is how do we find cooperative modes of interaction, whether it's across the gender gap, across the racial gaps, across economic gaps, mm -hmm. whatever gaps might exist or need to be bridged, as you mentioned, how do we do so without also triggering these parts of our psychology that immediately frame the other as enemy? Yeah, well, we, we talked about that yesterday, you know, about the two types of power. And when some people talk about power, they mean power over other people. And when other people talk about power, they mean power of, of, over themselves, like feeling powerful when you wake up in the morning. And you and I were talking about it and we were like, yeah, men want power over others. Women want power in their own skin. Obviously, huge generalization. Not all men want that. Not all women want that. But we were sort of talking about it in terms of the traditional masculine view of power versus the traditional feminine. When women talk about power, we want to feel powerful. We don't necessarily want to have a thousand people doing our bidding at every moment and the power to fire people at whim. And we don't necessarily want that kind of power. Um, we want to feel 
empowered. We want to feel powerful. We want to feel like society supports us and the structures and systems of society are set up to um, give us that support in reaching our goals and not tear us down and not, you know, uh, not do all of the things that have been making, that men have been doing and making news from doing recently uh, as the Me Too movement progresses. But again, huge generalization, not saying yeah. all men want this and all women want that. Um, I, I mean, like you get at a great point, which is, yes, human beings, we kind of need to step it up. We need to evolve a little bit, period. Like we, we need to up our level of emotional intelligence and social consciousness. My personal belief system is that the only way society is going to move forward is if we stop relying so much on intellectual intelligence and really start to value emotional intelligence. It is the last frontier of human knowledge. We, we, we have no idea what empathy even is. Empathy wasn't even a word until relatively recently. It was not defined in the dictionary. It still does not have a clear differ differentiation from the word sympathy. We have such a low understanding of it. There's scientific research around it. Nobody knows what empathy is. Nobody knows where it lives in the body. We know that not just humans have it. Other animals show signs of empathetic behavior. Um, emotional intelligence, understanding what our emotions are, understanding the relationship that they have to our health, the relationship that they have to other people, to the choices that we make, to the value systems that we have, the actions that we take. Uh, we need to step it up period, and that entire realm of knowledge, because it is just so not yet understood, and it's so powerful. That's kind of my soapbox. That's my line in the sand. Um, but yeah, I, I think that if we're really going to reduce suffering on the planet, if we're going to reduce suffering around money, uh, if we're going to see fewer people falling beneath society's radar and, uh, you know, worrying, worrying about where their next meal is going to come from, starvation, uh, people living on the street. As this entire civilization, as a species, we need to up our emo collective emotional intelligence. But that's kind of a side issue, but well, it, relates. Mean, it relates. It relates to crypto. Yeah. No, that, that especially it relates to values and it relates to, you know, if we are going to figure out a way of because I, I so maybe 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 this is the way to look at this, um, like evolutionarily, right? Like when we think about emotions and, and where emotions came from, and those obviously transcend humans. Like they, they're far older than us. Emotional, mm -hmm. like emotional inner realities. Anyone who has who's had a pet understands that there are <laughs> emotional inner realities to, to other animals, mm -hmm. and also especially with other higher primates. Like when I was doing my research with capuchin monkeys mm -hmm. back in college, you know, looking in their eyes, you know that there's like this deep shared consciousness, at yeah. least the seed of that deep shared consciousness between yourself and this thing that is not human, but still obviously very similar in some ways. That is, you can see there's a rich emotional life in there. And you know, why is that significant? I think it's kind of significant because of the fact that they, you know, we evolved in smaller scale interactions, right? We evolved in these smaller groups and emotions seem to be highly effective at navigating those spaces of like smaller groups of values. Mm -hmm. And then it seems to some extent to me that we hit a limit and started creating language to start filling the gaps of just feeling. But then you create a separation between the internal and the external, right? You create the separation where like you feel one thing, but you can say another. Hmm. You also get the advent of lying, for example, right? Like as soon as you have language, you can like pretty easy, you can lie far more easily than without language. Right. So we, we create these different spaces and we also see this in the brain as well, where like language is like a very cortical phenomenon like in the new brain and like emotions, while they interact between the new and the old brain, like they're much deeper in ourselves. Um, so where am I going with this? Where I'm going with this is perhaps um, creating an external value space with something like crypto in this world of digital interconnected communication at the speed of light that is entirely scalable might allow us to create some sort of like collective meta brain that actually interacts far more with our older emotional brain, right? Whereas like that, that language-based brain that's the very rational brain 
would be in between the two as opposed to like dominating the conversation as it as it kind of does now in our culture and in our own interaction love it matthew get <laughs> get on that um no i think that's i think that's fascinating I think that's an amazing idea the only thing i would say is that there's no reason why language has to only be in the rational brain like why can't yeah. we make it just more okay to have very emotional base emotion-based language and we, uh, look, we can even make up some new words. There are other languages that have many more words totally. for love. There are like 10 different kinds of love yeah. in many other languages. There's love is, we have one word for it yeah. um, in the English language. And there's so many emotions, you know, poets write about this all the time, philosophers, writers, there's so many emotions that, that there's not even a word for. You feel it and you don't even have a word for it. Yeah. So maybe it's time to actually expand language a little bit to be more focused on giving us a way to express emotions yeah. and then also teach people how to express emotions. I, I know you guys both, I know your bios, and I know you had very fancy educations. You are like top <laughs> educated people. I also had a very fancy education. And at no point in my very fancy education was I ever taught how to express emotion in a way that <laughs> yielded uh, greater understanding and, and sort of emotional release for me and for the other party. Mm -hmm. That was something that I had to learn entirely on my own. And I learned it, I mean, you could argue, uh, you know, my first marriage was a pretty <laughs> like fertile breeding ground for learning yeah. that lesson. But we're not giving people a lot of tools here in American society. I mean, don't get me started on the state of our education system in general for the average American. We are all blessed. We had amazing educations. But, you know, even for us, like emotional intelligence and, and you know, how to really use language to express emotion was not something that that was ever discussed as being valuable or important or necessary. Um in in our educations so I, I i hear you i just i the only thing i i would say is that language doesn't have to be so rational mm -hmm. it can be a tool yeah, of emotion uh, that, was, that was definitely if, if that's what i was implying that's that's not what i was getting at i was just getting at the fact that language um when we look at like where it came from it kind of came from a place of of, of trying to deal with like a shared outside space yeah like the world of like things and well, but it's also language creates reality. Like it's well, about yeah, the internal no, no, reality. Totally, like totally. nothing arguably would exist without language. Yes. It just so all, in the beginning all, was the word. <laughs> oh boy, here all, we go. All, all, and then comes the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> well, but all, all I'm getting at is that like one can imagine that if you're if you're just starting with trying to create like a shared system of communication between two human beings with their own perspectives, um, starting with things that both can actually, for example, see. Uh huh might be an easier place to bootstrap a language from than like the invisible internal states. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, that might be harder to initially express in language. Yeah. And so all I'm saying is that I think we've kind of taken a path where we, we started with language a little bit more in that objective domain. And now we're still trying to figure out how to really map words onto this far more complex domain of the invisible, of the yeah. internal emotional um, of the psychological and it's it's hard it's fuzzy like it resists not only language but it also resists quite a bit of scientific exploration we're still nowhere near where we could or potentially should be um with with that exploration of of emotion but like you're saying i totally agree where it's like it was very rare that i actually had conversations with anyone who was a mentor growing up to help me like figure out or navigate like what the hell was going on inside my own mind yeah right? Or your body. Or, or how I was feeling or, or any of that. And yeah. uh, who knows how receptive I would have been or not, but it probably would have been useful to, to have some amount of ability to to more effectively articulate and navigate that without necessarily having to feel as much pain as I felt yes. to, to eventually learn it. Yes. Yeah. Pain is a powerful catalyst. It's just, do, yeah. do we really, really <laughs> have to like put people in that much pain? Can't we kind of like catalyze a little more smoothly? <laughs> yeah. There is actually some new research on emotions. Um, a scientist, Lisa Feldman Barrett, wrote a book called How Emotions Are Made yes. that um, is terrific. I'd recommend it to anyone interested in these ideas. Absolutely. And she actually touches on the nature of words and their role in 
our experience of the world and touches on this idea as well that you mentioned of like there are more words in other languages to describe things and that actually enables new experiences because you're able to even articulate it. Exactly. Um, but I'm trying to connect this actually with Yuval Harari's work and in Sapiens one of the key takeaways from that book is this idea that um, more than just shared language we have shared stories mm -hmm. and that it's through these stories that enable widespread collaboration, cooperation for larger ideals that have essentially turned our species into the species that dominates the planet. Mm -hmm. um, and now it seems, and, and he's, he's doing this work now in terms of like thinking about the future and trying to understand the stories that are, well, he's not doing this work per se. He's basically just describing the state of the world in which the stories as they currently exist and the inertia, the direction that they could be heading us towards um, Matthew also wrote some, a really good story on medium that's describing this around, um, the need to take back the reins of our data and own our data, because if we don't own our data, we are essentially enslaved by those who do. Yes. And so new words, new stories, you know, it seems like the world needs these things now more than ever before. And the decentralized crypto world is coming around at a time that it could actually solve these things. Well, I love that point, and I want to make a point about owning your own data. Now, from a very <laughs> oversimplified, when I'm explaining this to people who, who are in no way involved in the crypto world, I go, look, one of the things I like most in life is to get paid for things that I would do anyway that mm -hmm. don't feel like work. Mm -hmm. uh, and owning your own data, it is time for every individual, this is my belief, it is time for every individual in society who is doing anything to create create value, including uh, just posting pictures on a social network or, or putting something on the internet. So that's a form of data uh, to get paid for that data. If that data has value, it goes back to value and being compensated for that value. Mm -hmm. Every human being should have access to the benefits if they are taking an action, even if they don't consider it work, even if it's not in our sort of system of, well, I go to work and I punch a card and that's what I get paid for. Well, no, if you are doing something in your normal life that has value, you should get compensated for it. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've opened that up. The internet has opened that up a lot. Like you knit. Oh, great. You can create a store on Etsy and people who value your knitting can buy that. Well, okay. It's still centralized. Etsy still controlling it and taking a cut. Oh, you have a car. You like to drive, you can drive for Uber, earn money. Well, okay, again, centralized. But data is like that final frontier. People are creating data on a daily basis, and that data has value. If it has value, they should get paid for it. They should get a cut. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a little bit of a, like, screw the man. If you get, let's say, fired from your job, you should have access to other forms of income simply for the fact, for any value add that you are putting into society. Mm -hmm. And people should not live in terror of being fired from a job or being laid off or not getting a bonus or severance. Or if you, you know, work for minimum wage, that should not be your only uh, access to income ever. Um, if you are creating something in society that has value, you should get paid for it. And I firmly believe this, even if it doesn't seem like work, yeah. even if it's something that you would do anyway. And I think we need to like turn people onto this, uh, and really create a social movement around it. And that's the way it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. yep. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty much exactly I mean, the, it's right at the heart of, of the piece that Brian mentioned that I, that I wrote. Uh, yes. Which, is, which I uh, read. Yeah, yeah. Data, data slavery and decentralized it was, emancipation. It was super smart. All the Adam Smith <laughs> stuff and it was super smart. Oh, no, that, that's a different one. Oh, that was a different one. That was the distributed valorism one. That was ah, the, yes. That was more the economics one. This was like literally just about this problem of like this notion that fundamentally in a world where everyone's gathering our, our data, like you can kind of look at it as like the wake. If we are ships moving through this sea of the internet or the, the digital space, we leave behind us this, this wake this pattern of ourselves left behind. And what we don't see is all the little bots that like yeah. scatter along behind us uh -huh. and like scoop up our wake. Uh -huh. And what do they do with the wake? Monetize well, it. Well, yeah, but the really interesting thing about, well, where does this lead? And 
every sign that I can see is leading to taking all of that data and effectively trying to create virtual representations of who we are behaviorally. Yeah. So like our effectively like our, our virtual avatars. Yes. That are instead of poking and prodding us with test tubes and whatnot, that can happen to our our virtual self, right? And so you could think about every company building a virtual model of you, like your most intimate behavior. So in the article I mentioned, like that interesting Target example, where Target sent um, marketing advertise or marketing materials for for pregnancy related items mm-hmm. to a woman before she even knew she was pregnant, mm-hmm. based on uh, her purchasing behaviors that were indicating she was pregnant to them, uh-huh. right? And so it doesn't start necessarily as explicitly having these models of us that are run to manipulate us, but that's definitely where it's going. And the only safety or the only way we can resist that really in the long term is having a fundamental ground shift in which we begin to look at these virtual clones of ourselves, because that's really what they are, yeah. as an extension of our legal person yeah. with rights. And therefore, if that's the case, those extensions of our person would have also a seat at the table, the negotiating table, like you're saying, you would use my data. Well, you can have micropayments, right? Mm-hmm. So you could have a thousand companies out there in mm-hmm. theory paying micropayments to you. Mm-hmm. But then you have this issue of like, well, no one really wants to manage all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but, but we're also at this cool point where we're getting, you know, machine learning and AI yes. at the place where you might be able to have a bot that manages your data based on your preferences, right? Yes. And, and can actually manage your economic footprint of your virtual self. It's like, it seems like that's where things should be going, right? But we need to inform people and we need to get a groundswell. And people really need to understand that if you don't own your data, it is very much like enslavement. Well, I think the way to solve that is have someone tell a story about how they made money mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. Like, hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah. here's how I transitioned. From, I mean, uh, look, I, I think it's pretty clear that Millennials know this. Gen Z knows this. The traditional path of of making money in society, like you go out, you get your education, and you get your degree or whatever you're going to get, and you go and you get a job, and then the job takes care of you, and then maybe you get another job, and you go through life having a job, working for someone else, and getting paid what what that job will pay you, and then maybe they lay you off or fire you, or they, they get sold or whatever happens, and then you go get another job, and all of your money comes from this job. And entrepreneurs like to say job is an acronym just over broke. And, mm-hmm. and that's great. But not every person is an entrepreneur. And I think that's okay. But if we give people some tools where they don't have to go be entrepreneurs, they can just go be themselves. Mm-hmm. And we have a few people actually start really making money yeah. that way. And then evangelize and tell their stories online, have blogs, whatever, go on podcasts like this one. That's how we get people to realize, oh, hold on, hang on here. Like I do the exact same things that that person yeah. does. All I have to do is X, Y, and Z and I get money. Yeah. That is a pretty big motivator. Yeah. While keeping it aligned with values. Well, I think, exactly. I think, Without having to do anything yeah. that's not in line with my values and my current behavior. Because we're kind of seeing that emerge like in, I think maybe like the, the Instagram, like the, um, the hell's the name for that? Like the, um, like basically influencer culture, right? So in the influencer culture, we're kind of starting to see this emergence of people surviving economically based on the projection of images of their life and their story Mm -hmm. into the public domain. Mm -hmm. But that being said, because it's not really hooked up to any values other than just get as many likes as possible, you see like really strange things emerge from that space, right? Where like you see people that can, I mean, I don't know, you see some really amazing things emerge, but you see some really strange things emerge as well. Like what? Uh, I mean, I don't know, like not to be too overly weird about it, but like you have people who are, I guess, for example, making a living off of effectively an Instagram of pictures of their butt, right? <laughs> it's like, I mean, look, it's like, uh, not know, to go back okay, into the values conversation, right. <laughs> but if I've learned one thing about people, they tend to value butts. Like, Yeah, no, totally. It, it and is I get what it. it is. And there's, and there's, there's things to value about butts, right? But like from like, from like the perspective of like a diversified value portfolio, right? <laughs> you don't necessarily want to reduce yourself to just one asset. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you are Sir Mix-a-Lot, in which case yeah. we will make an exception for you. I, right? I don't know. I'm not, again, I'm not here to pass judgment and say, but Instagram accounts are are somehow you know, the downfall of society. 
Um, that's not, but that's not what we're saying. I know. Here, that's not right? what you're saying. I'm getting at something different, which is the fact that like when you get just when you when you have these very low resolution spaces where people respond to the incentives on like Instagram, yeah. for example. Yeah. As opposed to having a as better a, map right. of like a way to understand how to navigate um, a way of getting money that might also be more commensurate or in line with the 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 best life that yeah, they the want North to Star, live. Right? The North Star. But what they really want like in their heart of hearts that they looked inside and said, this is where I want to be in my own personal life in five right. years. Right. And what kind of ways of making money are coincident with that? Well, I think that's a great question, maybe for another day. Sure, right now, sure, sure, I'm like, sure. look, let's just get everyone in this country <laughs> in touch with this potential way of making money. Let's get yeah. all the welfare mothers in touch with the fact that, hey, they have cell phones yeah. and they are posting things uh, on the internet and they have a digital footprint. And as you say, they have this avatar. Let's get them paid. Yeah. Like, I think it's way better than UBI, generally. <laughs> I if we mean, can do that. Well, it's way better than Silicon Valley companies collecting all of the yeah, ad revenue for, sure. for their data. Yeah. I mean, you know. Uh, we'll create some more symbiotic world, right? Like, uh, and then let's worry about people posting pictures of their butts. Like, we can get to that. Well, later. I mean, it's articulating. The thing is, like, <laughs> I'm I, just I, teasing. I, I'm, like, I'm happy to take that further in terms of the, the general <laughs> case that that actually gets at because I think that I think that they're quite intertwined, right? Because, like, let's say that you have these single mothers at home, right? And there's always this trade-off between if you are going to go make money online, are you going to make money online in a way that is like in like in line with the values of like yourself five years or 10 years from now or right. in terms of like, is the path incrementally increasing in value or is it the type of thing where you're like, you're likely to get a lot of short-term value and then it falls off and you're left empty handed again. Right? So it's like, all I'm saying is that I think there are these ways of by opening up this space of values and actually representing them in an open format. I'm not saying like passing judgment or whatnot, no, but like no. letting people navigate that much richer space of, of values or marketplace. Um, then they can make better decisions about what a more sustainable path might be for their life. Yeah, I think that gets into, that takes us into a whole nother realm though, which yeah. is like, uh, why do women choose to be an internet porn? Because it's a really lucrative opportunity for yeah. a lot of women. We're getting this short-term um, versus long-term. Uh, they're they're short-term, they're right. long-term. But again, who are we to say, like, those women will regret their porn career 10 years from now? So well, we don't it's a big it. conversation. That's yeah. a big, and that's that goes into the incentives yeah. of, like, women, you know, men have are willing to pay for a certain thing. Yeah. Women are able to provide that thing. Is it's it like right speak, or wrong? We don't want to speak in generalities, like, right? But, like, uh, for the porn thing is is also interesting. Well, it's crypto like, does well with porn. Well, yeah. I mean, but, I mean, that's it's also interesting, right? Because it's not like, it's not like, it's not like all people with all psychological profiles are going to regret it, right? No. It's, it's based on who you are and like where you think Absolutely. you're going and what your needs are, what your tolerances are for certain types of um, attention, for example. Um, you know, but then we have this thing where it's like we do know that some people with some personalities and some psychological profiles don't respond well and they say it themselves, right? Yes, they so do. like all I'm saying is like having a forum where all of that information can be open and like people can understand like whether they're more like X or Y and maybe that would be a good decision for me or maybe I should look in a different area because there are now 10 other options available to yeah, me. Yeah, if we make other options yeah. available and yeah, give yeah, women yeah. a choice, yeah, yeah. then they're actually able to make a choice. Yeah. But my response to that is to bring it back around to my earlier point. Let's raise everybody's emotional intelligence and self-awareness and then they'll actually be in a place to yeah. mm -hmm. no, and, that's an and part their of economic opportunities sure. and then they're in it back to power. They are in an empowered position to make a choice. Oh, well, yeah, I can go sell, post pictures of my butt online and that feels good to me and that feels like, you know, I love my butt. I, I want to share it with the world. <laughs> and it will make me money awesome. Sure. Or they can say, you know what? That really does not feel like it's in line with my values. It doesn't feel good to me. And I have these other options. So I'm not going to do it. But right now we don't have parity. We don't have level playing field. And we don't necessarily have uh, a society that focuses on sort of these kinds of uh, intuitive, high EQ conversations with oneself sure. when it comes to decision making. And we have a society where it's like you better... You, you got to make money because there's no social safety net. So go make money however you can, especially if you're a woman. Uh, and the incentives are pretty messed up. So I think if we if we can work holistically on multiple things instead of just making crypto the sort of uh, answer to all this, I think it will help.
Yeah. I think there's about 10 other conversations wrapped there's up like in that. There's like 50 that we could, <laughs> that we, that we could we probably have Kylie Jenner, in the but the porn industry EQ, <laughs> Adam Smith. These sound like hot episodes. These will, these will <laughs> pop off. Everybody will love those. Well, you know, I mean... I, I, Catalyzing coherence, the porn episode. Yeah. Well, hold on. Hold on. I don't want to be like, oh, yeah. It was the, the, the episode with the girl was the porn episode. No, um, no, not at all. I, I'm teasing you guys. But anyways, it's been such a pleasure chatting, <laughs> chatting with you guys. We could talk for like five more hours. Yeah, it's been amazing. We really appreciated you coming by. Uh, I know I had fun. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. And uh, we look forward to having you back sometime in the future. And uh, I guess we'll get back to people with how everything goes this evening with our storytelling workshop. Yes. Um, we'll have to get everybody's opinion about uh, Kardashian coin and Kylie Jenner. Yeah. Um, the important things. As <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So it's so much fun. Thanks, guys. All right. Cheers. Goodbye, everybody. Hello, fellow travelers. I'd just like to take a second to thank you for joining us. The mission of Catalyzing Coherence truly centers around building a community that's passionate about a more coherent future for humanity, and we'd love for you to get involved. If this content resonated with you, we invite you to help us build our community in a way that works best for you. First, please like this video and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss out on future content. We also have a Facebook group, and you can find us on Twitter at @catcoherence. Our primary community building tool is Patreon, where you can find us at patreon.com catcoherence. We'll be posting exclusive content there, so if you're feeling especially generous and would like to help us keep the lights on as we pursue our mission to bring you high-quality content concerning humanity's future, please consider supporting us on Patreon. We look forward to seeing you there. Until next time, keep exploring and stay curious.